Welcome back to Built to Win. I'm your host, Dan Reynolds. Today, we're going to be walking you through the growing issue of Medicaid. We're going to be calling it our Medicaid 101 class with Scott Santorino, Senior Fellow here at FGA. Scott, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. Thanks, Dan. Of course. So just to jump right into it and to give our listeners a little bit of an opener, Medicaid is actually way bigger than I'm sure many of our listeners think. But to paint a much clearer picture, Scott, just how big is Medicaid? And for a comparison, you know, what does it look like when we compare it to other government welfare programs? Yeah, that's a great question, Dan. Probably the first kind of myth that's out there is that Medicaid is just another one of the welfare programs in America. So just to give you some context, if you think of it as four major welfare programs across America, you've got Medicaid, you've got food stamps or, or SNAP, you've got the TANF program, which stands for Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. That's sort of the traditional cash welfare program that people think of when they think of welfare. And then you've got public housing. Medicaid, believe it or not, is actually not only the biggest among those four, it's actually bigger than the other three combined. And in a typical year, this is the part that kind of blows people's minds, Medicaid will spend almost as much improperly as the other programs will spend total. So just to give you a sense of just how big this is, so Medicaid is an enormously complex thing, maybe more complex than the space program, maybe the most complex thing man has ever devised, but it's also enormously expensive, and it's it's the largest it's the largest single line item in just about every state budget, and so it's it's incredibly important politically, and it's obviously incredibly important to the people who rely on it. So that's one of the the common things out there that people don't know is just how big this is and how expensive it is. Yeah, it's certainly extremely large, but it's also not new. And I do want us to take it back a little bit to the beginning of Medicaid. So, Scott. Just briefly, and also very importantly for our listeners, when and how did Medicaid start? Yeah, so Medicaid was begun in 1965. It was part of LBJ's Great Society agenda. You know, I heard recently someone said something smart, and I'll just steal what they said. Healthcare in America is a little bit like an American farmhouse, which is different than most countries in that you have this basic, simple structure to begin with, and then Each generation adds a room or two to the building, and by the end of a few generations, you've got all these misshapen rooms kind of attached to the main farmhouse. American healthcare is kind of like that, and Medicaid in 1965 was one of the bigger rooms that was added, and it continues to be, along with Medicare, one of the foundational parts of this structure that's a little bit misshapen and has all sorts of issues, but I just thought that was a really telling description of how healthcare has evolved with government policy in America. So, It was begun in 1965. Like I said, it was part of the Great Society uh, with Lyndon Johnson. And, you know, one of the things that people often say is, oh, gosh, Medicaid has become so political. It's gotten so expensive over time. And, you know, the truth is I'm a history nerd. I think you are too, Dan. I'll put you on the spot. But (laughs) I I, I think that one of the things that, that is interesting about Medicaid, and it's certainly not alone in this respect, is that Medicaid has always been political. And it has always been expensive. I I mean, the fact that it was started under President Johnson should give you a little bit of a clue that that's the way it's always been. You know, there were cost overruns in Medicaid in the very first year. This is not a new development. It just hasn't really stopped over the course of 40, 50 years. And it's always been political. You know, there, there are some great recordings out there of LBJ talking with Senator Russell from Georgia 
talking about how Medicaid fit into the the agenda in Congress, and everybody knows the the stories of, of LBJ kind of leaning over folks in hallways, really kind of rough handling uh, some members of Congress to get his agenda through. He was very good at that. He understood the politics of Medicaid and how appealing it would be from an electoral perspective. And so the fact that Medicaid today is, is political and expensive, it's a feature, not a bug in some ways of Medicaid. It has always been that way. Yeah. So going back again to the beginning, you know, not just that it was political, what was its original design? So what was the you know, original purpose? Who was it meant to support? Yeah, it's evolved over time, hasn't it? So at the very beginning, Medicaid was originally designed to cover long-term healthcare needs for folks with those needs. So we're talking about disabled Americans, we're talking about seniors, we're talking about kids under 18, folks that you expect to have long-term healthcare needs over a significant amount of time. The blind was actually, you know, we don't the blind don't get a lot of political attention these days for a lot of reasons, but they actually were were a really big part of Medicaid was that Medicaid was designed to give health insurance coverage to folks like blind people who would have long-term healthcare needs that wouldn't just go away overnight. And that's really important for us to lay out for our listeners, I mean, where it began, because as we laid out earlier about how large Medicaid is and how uh, much it's expanded and grown over the years, so is the same with the coverage. So, Scott, to contrast with that list that you just described to our listeners, who exactly qualifies for Medicaid today? Yeah, so you've got sort of the traditional groups of coverage that I just described. You've got the disabled, seniors, and kids that still qualify for Medicaid. Those are different categories of of eligibility in Medicaid. But you have all these additional groups that have been able to qualify. Most prominently, and we can talk about this more if you want, Dan, but we've gotten a couple different groups at this point of able-bodied adults, which is obviously a very different population. But able-bodied adults now qualify for Medicaid basically just based on income. So it has nothing to do with their immediate healthcare needs or anything like that, which is obviously a departure from the way Medicaid was originally set up. And and they're, I think, about 30% of Medicaid enrollment now is is able-bodied adults of different kinds. That's the main difference today from how it was originally set up was, again, Medicaid originally designed to cover folks with long-term healthcare needs. Now we have been pushing it into more of a traditional expectation of of what we consider to be welfare, which is a means-tested income redistribution program where even able-bodied adults without immediate health care needs can qualify just because they're lower income. That's really the biggest change over over the last 50 years in Medicaid. Yeah. So how exactly did we get here? And to put it more specifically, because, of course, we shared notes, listeners, insider info. We shared notes a little bit before this podcast. Don't tell them that, Dan. Don't tell them. (laughs) But we do want to cover two main expansions in Medicaid. So the first one, Scott, when was it and what happened? Yeah. So just like healthcare overall in America, Medicaid also has this tradition of being this house with rooms added on kind of ad hoc. And the first big one was in the 80s. Medicaid coverage was extended to parents and caretakers of those who had disabilities and were on Medicaid. And so it was like, if you remember the game Six Degrees of of Kevin Bacon, this was one degree of Kevin Bacon, (laughs) one degree of Medicaid, where if I was a caretaker of somebody who was on Medicaid, say they had a severe injury and were wheelchair bound and 
and they were on Medicaid, if I was their caretaker and below a certain income threshold, I could then qualify myself, even if I didn't have a long-term healthcare need myself, because I had this connection to someone else on Medicaid, I could qualify. That was the first big expansion. And then after that, you had pregnant women be qualified, which is obviously a population with an immediate healthcare need, but not a long-term healthcare need, not one that you would expect them to have for the rest of their lives. I think we'd probably have a second American revolution if that were true. Um, I think that, so, so both of those follow the same pattern of an expansion of coverage to additional groups that kind of fit in, but don't quite fit into the traditional populations and folks that, at least in a little bit, will be able-bodied adults with time. And then I, maybe I'm jumping the shark here and, and cutting cutting ahead, but I'm not giving anything away by saying the next big moment of expansion was in 2010 with Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. Yeah. That was when you basically took that idea of expanding to able-bodied adults and just blew that up entirely where any able-bodied adult under, the, not to get too wonky here, but 138% of the federal poverty level, basically anybody with income below that level would qualify for Medicaid in a state which chose to expand. And that's a whole different story. But yeah. And something that we are definitely going to be covering in a future podcast for all of our listeners who are interested in that great dive there from Scott. But please keep going. Don't want to interrupt you too much. Yeah, no, it's, it's an important topic. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Maybe if, if I'm good, you, you'll invite me back for that one. We will see. You're, you know, you're not done yet. <laughs> I'm on provisional coverage here. Um, so the, yeah, Obamacare, you know, if, if you remember when Joe Biden was vice president during that press conference, President Obama was up there. They were announcing the signing of this bill. Joe Biden leaned in and he, and he said, you know, this is a big effing deal. I, I, this is a family podcast, so I won't quote it verbatim. And so there was a bleep. And, and you know what? Joe Biden was right. This was a big deal, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, because it put the lie to any concept that Medicaid was still a program reserved for low-income Americans just with long-term health care needs. That made it much more of a traditional welfare program where anybody under a certain income would qualify for Medicaid coverage, whether or not they had a long-term health care need. Yeah, huge expansion there. So we spent a great deal so far on this podcast being a little doom and gloom, I think, Scott. I think we need to you know, be a little more positive here. We need to be proactive and provide some solutions, I think, to our listeners. So what can states and state lawmakers do about this ongoing, rather huge problem? Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate, Dan, that the podcast in some ways is called Built to Win when Medicaid is a topic because we really haven't been doing a lot of winning on a lot of fronts in Medicaid. Unfortunately, to your point, it's been kind of a boondoggle for a lot of state budgets is just how much growth there's been. So yeah, to focus on on the takeaways, the good positive action items here that, that state policymakers and that the public can focus on is, is basically what states can control that you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, Medicaid, it's a big federal program. We're stuck with whatever the, the status quo is. That's true to a certain extent. And there's all sorts of things that happen when certain administrations come in and certain powers that you no longer have. But Medicaid does operate as a joint federal and state program. And that means there is some significant state flexibility. And that flexibility means that states can make different choices about how they handle the program. And some choices are good, some choices are bad, just like anything. So the, the big one is 
states still have the power to decide whether or not to expand Medicaid under Obamacare to able-bodied adults. Even in states that have not expanded, this is a little nuance worth pointing out, I think. Yeah. Even in states that have not expanded, they are covering some able-bodied adults. It's, it's that group of parents and caretakers that I mentioned before mm-hmm. of other folks on Medicaid. But the much bigger population of folks who are not attached to the Medicaid program, that's a state decision, whether to bring in this whole new population of enrollees into their Medicaid program. That's the biggest one. Yeah, There are a handful of other smaller things like what to set payment rates at, whether or not to cap optional benefits, controls on hospital presumptive eligibility, and then waivers of all, all sorts of different things that states do have control over. But the biggest single thing that states can control is, is whether or not to expand under Obamacare. Yeah. And there actually is a great deal of information that we want to get to you guys about adjusting the payment rates and discussing specifically the costs of Medicaid and what that looks like for various states and what state lawmakers and state officials can do. So again, that will be something that Scott is going to come back and talk to us about the costs of Medicaid. But that does wrap us up here for our Built to Win podcast segment today. I've been Dan Reynolds, your host of Built to Win, sitting down with Scott Centorino, Senior Fellow here at FGA. Scott, thanks so much for all that you do, and thanks so much for joining the podcast today. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. And if you are interested in being a guest on Built to Win, please email us at dreynolds at thefga.org. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Built to Win, the leading state-focused policy podcast presented by the Foundation for Government Accountability, a nonprofit organization helping millions achieve the American dream. To learn more about our work or our experts, visit www.thefga.org and tell us what you think on Twitter at Built to Win Podcast. Views and opinions expressed by guests on Built to Win do not necessarily reflect the official position of the Foundation for Government Accountability and are not intended to advocate for or against the passage of any legislation or ballot initiative or to support or oppose any candidate for elected office. 